Good morning. I'm so happy each and every one of you are here today. And that'll probably be the last sip I take. Uh, happy you are all here. I really am. Um, I'm going to do testimony time this morning. Well, it'll be on both ends of this sermon. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I got up here to do the communion service. And I stood up here and I looked out over everybody. And an overwhelming sense of love hit me for each and every one of you. And uh, when I brought that up to the staff meeting, I mean, it, it shocked me so much, I almost quit talking. And uh, when I brought it up to staff meeting, uh, Barbara said that was the Holy Spirit giving me the love for you that God has. And uh, I just wanted to share that with you today. Um, and so I pray that, that the Holy Spirit will speak through me and that his love for you will shine through me in this message today. And God loves each and every one of you. And I cannot describe how much he does because I only received a small portion of that. And uh, so that, uh, that's my testimony that I've been saving for the last two weeks to let you guys know. So when I gave my first sermon a little over a month ago, I took the advice of the pastors and I watched myself on TV. I, uh, I streamed it on there. And I was sitting on a couch and I was like, Lord, that camera adds 55 pounds. But, only, but it's only to me, right? Jeremy was standing there. He looked the same, right? And I'm like, Lord, why does the camera add 55 pounds to me? And the next thought that came to my mind, whether it was God or my own sense of humor, was this. That's not the camera, fat boy. And so I went on a diet, okay? Um, it's been 47 minutes. I haven't lost an ounce. It, it worries me. And so, and, you know, all seriousness, as we know that diets don't work that way, uh, it takes time, it takes patience, and if you really want it to be effective, you have to exercise as well, okay? Uh, sometimes we become impatient in the same way when we pray. Uh, we pray for healing, we pray for our favorite sports team to win the big game so we don't have to wear a Dallas Cowboy jersey to, when we preach. Um... We pray for a loved one to be cured from cancer. We pray for our marriage. And sometimes we even pray for the guy that cut us off in traffic to get what's coming to him. And thank God we never get what's coming to us. And so when our prayers are not answered in the way or in the time frame that we want, we get disappointed. We're frustrated, and sometimes we even get angry with God. And so how many of you have ever been angry with God? All right. Now, so much so that you stayed away from him for an extended period of time. You, you, you removed yourself from the church, and you left fellowship with Christ. Anybody? A few of you. My hand's up. There's a reason for that, and we'll get to that later. Okay. This anger can become your testimony. People know you say you're a believer. And when you walk away from fellowship with God, you're not walking away from faith that he is who he is. You're walking away from faith that he can do or will do for you what he says he will do. 
And uh, that becomes your testimony. When you become angry and bitter, and your testimony is that of a person that's not following Christ, that's not in relationship with God, it tells other people that either A, you are not a true believer, or or, or B, God does nothing to change you. And we know that that is incorrect. And so today we're going to go over Luke chapters 13 through 16. And it gives examples of God's mercy um, towards us. And these chapters are full of parables. But the first part of chapter 13 is not. So we're going to read Luke 13, 1 through 5. Give you time to turn there. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. When reading this passage, did you ever wonder about the Galileans whose blood was mixed with the sacrifice? Because it says it nowhere else. Um, This was Pilate mixing their blood. The Jewish historian Flavius Tiberius... Josephus wrote in his book, Jewish Antiquities, this was around 93 AD, so this was the time period, Um, this was about, what, 60 years after Christ crucified, give or take, Uh, he wrote about the insurrection of the Jewish people against Pontius Pilate, because Pilate had put up effigies or graven images in Jerusalem at nighttime, so nobody would see him do it. And the Jewish people got angry. They were having none of this. This was an affront to their God and their laws. Pilate relinquished this and uh, he removed the images. And then later on there came a time when Pilate used sacred money. This is money from the temple. These are tithes from God's people to God that's used in the temple. Pilate took that and decided he was going to build an aqueduct about 200 furlongs, and that's about 25 miles long, to bring water into Jerusalem. Um, If our governor today decided she was going to come to every one of our churches and take all of our money to build a pet project, how many of you would be happy? Good, no hands are up. I am happy to see that. So what happened was, is they they were arguing, they were protesting in the streets in Jerusalem, and many of these men were Galileans, And Pilate had men dressed as these people. These were unarmed people. And Pilate had these men go in there and they stabbed them. They killed them right there in the streets of Jerusalem. Well, there's no historical record on this. Now, this attack was against the law because they were Galileans and Pilate was not over the Galileans. Okay. Many of these men from Galilee were subjects of Herod and Pilate's attack on them was against the law. Well, there's no historical record other than in Scripture of what happened with the mingling of the blood. It does show Pilate's attitude and how he acted towards the Jewish people. 
the important, this is important to understand later as to why Pilate sends Jesus over to Herod after finding out he is from Galilee in chapter 3. So keep that in mind in a few weeks when we get to that part. Christ is telling unbelievers to repent or die. This is what he said in scripture, repent or die. The word repent comes from the Greek word metanoia. This means a changing of a mind. The change of way you're thinking. To turn away from what you were and how you're thinking towards it. One commentary notes that the nature of repentance includes humiliation before God on account of sin. And a turning to God in newness of life. This humiliation before God on account of sin can include being remorseful and sorrowful, but can also be humbling yourself before God in prayer with the understanding that you cannot quit whatever sin without His help and intervention. It brings an understanding that you need God in your life daily, all day, and not just once a week. As you turn to Him, you are seeking a newness of life that only He can give to you. You cannot do this alone. It will not work for any sustainable period of time. Believe me, I have tried, and it does not work. Okay. Now we're going to read Luke 13, 22 through 30. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as He made His way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And he said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will, not, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading. Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you came from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south. And will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first. And first who will be last. Now Jesus answers this man's question. uh, By telling him to make every effort to enter through the narrow door. That is the path to get to heaven. But many will not be able to do so. When they seek to enter the path to heaven. They will fail to do so they will fail to see that the only way to get there is through the narrow gate that Christ mentions earlier when he uh, said to them, repent or die. That narrow gate is true repentance for your sins. A changing of your mind into a new way of thinking that comes from having a relationship with God and it is through prayer and the reading of God's word that we are changed. Colossians 3, 9 and 10 states, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on new self, which is being renewed in knowledge 
in the image of its creator. And that new self that we have, it's being renewed, is through the knowledge of, is through knowledge. And in other words, through the reading and learning of the scripture. The Bible is God revealing himself to us in order for us to know him and is necessary to study and meditate on his word. We see that there's a door that is shut. When the door is shut, that's it. It's over. You can't go in. That's your last chance to enter the kingdom of God. You will be on the outside looking in like the rich man in Hades was looking at Lazarus who was in Abraham's bosom in chapter 16. Christ says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for those who fail to enter through the narrow gate. And then, because he is talking to Jews who believe they are the only ones that's going to heaven, he pours salt into their wounds. And he tells them that people from the north, the south, the east, and the west will also enter the kingdom of heaven That's God's grace and mercy available to all who seek him. I'm going to read Luke 13, 34. This is Christ lamenting over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under the wings and you are not willing. This verse is simply Christ lamenting over the fact that God has sent many, many people, messengers, to guide his people toward the right path. And how they killed the messengers when that was the desire, when all the desire was, was to offer them uh, protection that they were unwilling to have. Often parents will be saddened. Or disappointed by the things that their adult children would do. Um, And they tend to blame themselves. Don't do that. But we can see that the responsibility for their actions. For the actions of the children. Lie upon them. They make their own decisions concerning their lives. And all we can do is pray for them. Um, We're going to read Luke 15, 1 through 7. This is the first parable in 15, chapter 15. We're going to read all of 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country? And go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep, my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents repents, than the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I want you to catch the key phrase at the very beginning in in verse 2. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, welcomes sinners. I want you to understand that. Romans 3.23 states that all have sinned. So he welcomes all of us. 
When the Pharisees muttered these words, they were absolutely correct. The love of mercy of God does not apply to certain people, but to all people. The parable Jesus tells here is about one lost sheep. Many of those listening probably were shepherds. And so they understood the joy of finding a lost sheep. This was their job, their livelihood, their income, and even their food for for the winter. But this wasn't so much about the resemblance of the lost sheep and the sinner, but more about the shepherd's concern over one lost sheep. This is a story of God's concern over one lost sinner and what he would do to find that lost soul, including sending his son to die on the cross for our sins so that we can have a way home. There is immense joy in heaven when one lost soul is found. Next we're going to read Luke 15, 8 through 10. This is Christ continuing, continuing here with his speaking. It says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now in this parable, the Greek term for the coin is a drachma. This is a common coin, it's a common Greek coin, that were used by the Jews also. A couple of commentaries that I read uh, said that this coin was probably worth about 18 cents. Now, whether that's in that time or this time, I don't know. It doesn't matter. The parable is not about the coin. It's about the love that God has for us to search for us regardless. That, that our value is that in which he wants. Okay, That he values us this much. Next, we're going to read Luke 15, 11 through 32. This is probably the most popular parable in, the, in Scripture. And Jesus continues, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me this, my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Sorry, I lost my place. So he got up and went to the father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion, 
for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked them what was going on. Your brother has come, he said, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've, slaved, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now what can be said about this passage that hasn't already been said? It's probably the most well-known parables of Jesus. This story is about the son of a wealthy man who decided he didn't want to wait for his inheritance but wanted it right now. He was the younger son. You know, many people think that the youngest children are the brats that get whatever they want. Can anyone relate to that? I certainly cannot. Hold on, I think my mom is calling. Hi, Mom. Mom is watching. Seriously, though, this young man wanted what was coming to him, and his father obliged him. Much in the same way that God will allow us to, to have what we think we deserve, even when we are outside of his will. Even if it costs us a relationship with him, we have the freedom to choose right and wrong. This parable can even apply to believers who walk away from a relationship with God to go off and do their own thing. Many of us know someone who has done that. While they may not lose their faith or belief in Christ, they lose faith that he will help them at all, and not just within what they perceive to be their timeline. So around December 2009, I walked away from a relationship with God because I was angry over something that I was going through, and I felt that it was extremely unfair. I became bitter and angry and eventually depressed for many years. I was in counseling for this for five years to overcome the plethora of emotional garbage that had piled in because of a lack of a relationship with my Savior. Now, mind you, this was many years after losing my leg, so this had nothing to do with that at all. I had injured both of my hands at work. I had injured my back at work. Uh, Combined those with the loss of a leg, I lost my career and what I perceived to be my purpose in life. 
I've had many surgeries to try to correct these problems. I still have issues with my back. I still have many issues with my right arm and my right hand. I am right-handed. This was a tough period in my life. But God allowed me to go through that for a reason. He brought many people into my life to gently guide me back on the right path that he wanted me to go. There was a reason that it took so long. I get my stubbornness from my mom. Hi, mom. In 2015, one of these people, a dear friend of mine, asked me to go to a conference in South Carolina. And so I obliged. I went. And there were three ladies there that were prophesying. Or three ladies that had prophesied over me. There were many, many people prophesying. And they said to me, We see you standing on a stage speaking to a large group of people. And my thought was, yeah, right. I wonder how that's going to turn out. Anybody have a guess? God continued to work on me and sent people into my life who gently guided me back in the direction that I needed to go. And so in December of 2016, we're talking a full seven years here, I rededicated my life to Christ. And one of the songs I remember hearing after listening to Christian music again was uh, Casting Crowns telling me that I am one step away from arms wide open. And let me tell you, that is the truth. Because when I stopped running from God and I turned around to go back to Him, I was met with the full force of His love in my life. Kind of scary, but it's kind of great too. So a few months later, I asked God, I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? This was like 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'm praying, and I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to do? I don't know what to do. Next thought that came in my mind was finish your degree. I actually said out loud, I don't want to. And then I heard again, finish your degree. The tone and inflection had changed from this is what I want you to do to this is what I'm telling you to do. If you truly are going to follow me, then obey what I'm telling you to do. And so I went back to school, and after five classes, I graduated, and I was like, now what? Well, the Lord laid it on my heart to go to seminary. My response was something like this. Have you met me? Have you not paid attention to my life? Why would you want me to do something like that? And the answer came through many sermons from many different pastors that simply stated, trust God and follow his guidance. And so I'm going to paraphrase to you today verses 20 through 22 in chapter 15. And this is when the son decided to come back. And I arose to go to my father. And when I had taken one step towards him, he met me. He hugged me. He forgave me. And he kissed me. And I told him that I had sinned against him and was no longer worthy to be called his child. But he robed me with a robe of righteousness that gave me purpose in life so that I could be here in front of you. So I'm standing here in front of you to let you know if you are lost today and you do not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I invite you to come up after the service. To talk with me, to talk with the pastors, 
to talk with the elders. Also, if you have, if you are here today and you're angry with God, for whatever reason, it matters not, please come up. God's not angry with you. He's not mad at you. He wants you to come home. He wants a relationship with you. And this, I'm, I'm, I'm begging you, I'm telling you from my own personal story that it will happen. You can come to a right, right relationship with Christ. It doesn't mean you're going to be standing up here in a few years preaching. It doesn't mean you're not. But let Him guide you in this. So I want everybody to please stand as the elders come forward. And as we wait for them to come to the front, I want to leave you with this before we dismiss in prayer. That God loves each and every one of you. The mission state of this church is to love God, to love God's people, and to love serving God. And I can tell you without a doubt that these men standing up here and the pastors of this church love each and every one of you here today. And I want you to know that you have the best pastors I have ever seen in my life. So, let us pray. Our most gracious, heavenly, loving, and heavenly Father, thank you for the stories of your love and your mercy for us and providing a way for us to become righteous before you through the sacrifice of your Son at the cross. Thank you for giving us grace when we sin, even as believers, and providing a way back to a right relationship with you. May we always... Always, always seek your face when things aren't going right instead of becoming bitter and angry. May others see the love you have for them shine through our lives as we leave here today to be a witness for you of what you have done in our lives. Grant us the peace to know that you are always with us. For it is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that we ask these things. Amen. And I'll leave you all with this blessing, and then you can go. This is found in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.